Hello everyone, and welcome to this Nintendo Life episode 173. My name is NBZ, and uh, there are many turnings to the Wheel of Time, um, and uh, the Wheel of Time doesn't have any endings, but there is an ending, and it's an ending that I have reached, uh, because... Bali, I finished the Wheel of Time. Uh, 14 books, 4.4 million words, 13 months it took me, uh, and I'm done. Uh, I finished it yesterday, and I feel very proud of myself. What is a Wheel of Time? Well, I, uh, look, let's not get into it. <laughs> I, I feel like that'll probably take another however long to explain it just to you. Um, all, all I'm going to say is, hey, when that Amazon TV show comes out, people should watch it. Cause you I think... keep saying, oh, oh Ballet, it's too complicated. I, I, I can't explain it. And I'm like, yeah, this uh-huh. really sounds great for a TV show. It's really going to work well oh, for like a, a I, I casual audience. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Game of Thrones is complicated, right? You read the Game of Thrones books and you're like, these don't, like, they're very, there's a lot of characters and weird political maneuvering going on. How will this ever work? And they made it work, so... Yeah, I think Game of Thrones actually broke a lot of rules in that sense, where it did feel a lot more less tropey and broke a lot of rules in terms of what a standard audience would appreciate and go mainstream and become a viral hit, you know, so... Yeah. The rules have been broken. They've all been broken, so now it's time to, to do all the fantasy shows. There's a new Lord of the Rings show Amazon is also doing, so... All the barriers are breaking down. I'm a, a big fan of show. It. Yeah, I mean, fuck that. I don't care about that. <laughs> I, I talk about video games that I could not care less about. It's Fallout, like, b- before anything else, probably. Actually, let's be honest, it's probably, like, Division and shit like that more than that. But you know what I mean. Um, hey, hi, I'm MBZ. I'm a podcast host here on this Nintendo video game show. Uh, where, you know, sometimes we talk about fantasy. There are fancy video games out there, but um, but we're talking about video games. I'm joined by Bally, who is also here on this video game podcast show. Hi, Bally. Hi, we said the, the Scottish summer is really wet and wet and windy right now. Yeah, it's real weird outside at the moment. There were a couple of days in there where it was true summer bliss. We met up in the park. We had a good hangout in the park. Um, I brought my skateboard and it was a very sunny day. That was nice. But that's not really been a thing since then so uh unfortunately yes we have to just get used to the fact that scotland will never change it will always just be this wild uh i welcome a bit of wind and rain honestly in the middle of summer i'm i'm tired of those hot summers you know what as long as anything to keep away the hay fever man that's all i'm about is just not having that bother me anymore because it's a living nightmare uh, i will be honest but um but yeah, we have uh, we have a few things to talk about at uh, the top of the show here. Uh, first of all, we did a Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast, uh, which is up on the feed now. We had a uh, good friend Devin on the show uh, to discuss that with us, and that was a, a really good conversation we had. It was like almost three hours long of just going into the in-depth uh, discussions about this video game, which I think people could talk about for hours and hours. I think it's the most podcast I've listened to about a game, so... Um, so yeah, if you're interested in that, uh, go check that out. That is up on the feed now. Uh, and we also have our Backlog Club coming down the pipe, which will be Nintendogs plus Cats. That is the 3DS game, not the original DS one, the 3DS game. And uh, and yeah, we'll be talking about that at some point in the future. We have not decided a time, but get getting it. It's on the eShop. You can find it there for about 15 quid, $15, and, uh, and start playing Nintendogs. Uh, that will be fun. And then also, we have uh, some changes to announce to our Patreon, Bally. Uh, We've had our Patreon for a few years now, and we thought, you know, we did our survey at the start of the year, and we wanted to make some changes. We wanted to uh, have a look at what people liked and and didn't like, and and figure out how to best approach a revamping of the Patreon to make it uh, a bit better. So, Bally, what have we got for people? 
Yeah, so people basically came back with, uh, there were some common themes you might say, and one of those was that people were definitely aware that we were talking a lot more about games that were not on Nintendo systems. And this was obviously the fact that I've bought PS4 and an Xbox One, and just there's more games that we're playing that aren't on Nintendo systems. Now, some people really liked this, they thought that was great, and others felt that, you know, we're this Nintendo life, we're predominantly a Nintendo show, and we should really not talk so much about non-Tendo stuff. So we thought, what's a way we can talk about non-Tendo stuff, but at the same time, maybe keep the main show, uh, you know, focused on Nintendo. And I think the best option we felt was to create uh, a, a, a podcast focused on non-Tendo content and then make that part of our Patreon. So we are launching a new show on Patreon called This Nintendo Life, and that will be available to everyone on the one dollar tier so this show will come out once a month uh, like the current shows do and it should make clear this is replacing the current show so tnl yes. ranks tnl takes uh they're, they're not, dead they're, they're buried they're, we buried them long ago they're in the ground rip we're, we're totally still gonna come on and do a take on something we we care about and want to talk about and obviously rankings are something we will always do in different parts of the show so the, their ideas will live on you might say but we are yeah. launching this new show this non-tender life that will be coming out once a month and it always comes out uh, between the first and second show of, per month so we're obviously still a fortnightly show and then between in that week that goes between the first and second show each month we will always have this non an episode of this non-tender life coming out as a monthly show so that will be available to all uh one dollar tier patrons and we felt one dollar was important because as part of the survey a lot of people sort of said you know I think what you're charging for exclusive shows is maybe a bit on the high side and I would love to support, but that's a little high. So, you know, if you're a $1, I think I would feel more comfortable supporting sort of thing. So hopefully $1 tier is maybe a bit more uh, fair and can hopefully reach a larger number of people who might be interested in that show. Um, so then I'm just going to go through some of the other tiers because we have kind of like mixed up everything as a result. So as I said, $1 tier, access to this non-tender life coming out once a month. Uh, for two sorry i just should say on that tier as well you will be able to vote in all our uh backlog club uh polls uh, and then there will also be other polls that i will get to in one second for the two dollar tier uh, you will gain access to our new little post show called tnl bonus bits uh, so this is just going to be us running our mics a bit longer after we record the show and just talk about general things. There's not too much structure to this aspect. It's just going to be like an extra 10, 15 minutes that people on $2 tiers are going to get on a Tuesday. And that's going to come out the Tuesday after the show comes out on a Monday. Uh, so you also obviously have access to all the lower tiers. And then for our $5 tier, uh, what we've said is that $5 tier patrons will be able to vote on, suggest and vote on discussion topics. So once a month, we will put out a call to all $5 tier patrons to suggest topics to be discussed on the show. And then every all patrons, not just $5 tier, all patrons, $1 tier and up, will be able to vote on which topics they felt they would like us to discuss on the show. So this was another thing that came from the survey is people quite enjoyed sort of fan interaction, um, suggestions for topics, that sort of thing. So this is a way of kind of bringing that together. Um, and then our $10 tier remains the same. Uh, they will get uh, named shout outs on the show 
and uh, appreciation of their support. Uh, so that's going to stay the same. So yeah, just a, a mix up of the tiers, but just trying to respond to some of the points a lot of people were raising on the survey. And I think generally speaking about non-Tendo issues in the, in a year where there's sort of two big console launches for the Series X and PS5 was something definitely me and Emmys were keen to cover. And it was just about how do we do that in the right uh, space that uh, keeps this Nintendo life as a sort of, you know, Nintendo focused show uh, but at the same time we can cover non-Tendo topics. So yeah, thought that would just about cover it. Yeah, no, that's a good uh, breakdown of everything we've got planned. And I think... Um... You know, it, it allows us to cover games and also news on the Nintendo podcast. Yes. So we can, you know, do a bit of a mix of both. And there's obviously going to be a lot of Xbox news coming in July, uh, which will, whenever they reveal their lineup, their first party stuff. So, so we'll be talking about it there. And uh, yeah, hopefully the the lower entry uh, makes it easier for people to uh, to access. So. So yeah, hopefully that all sounds good. Uh, it will be so the first episode of that will be up the week after this, and so we'll we'll change our tears around and everything and, and get that sorted. But we'll also pop up a probably a little reminder in the feed uh, next week for when that all goes up and when that changes. So uh, be on the lookout for that, and uh, and yeah, hopefully hopefully that has uh, kind of made the show better, and and we'll keep getting it better for the future. So so there we go um cool well with all that said bali let's get into the show itself what are we going to be talking about today uh on today's show we're going to be talking about the games that we have been playing we've got emails in the second segment and third segment uh we're going to talk about kind of like our switch hit list what we'd like to see in the next iteration of the switch or wherever switch goes next kind of some things that we think are important absolutely yeah uh see what hardware features changes software things they can do to uh to make a uh, a refreshing uh, new version of their hit device. Uh, so let's kick things off, Bally, with the video games. Uh, what video games you've been playing, Bally? Uh, I have beaten the game Rhyme. Uh, so you Rhyme. talked about this show a while back on the Nintendo Switch, uh, and you said it ran horrendously. And yes. Uh, you, I think you played maybe two thirds of the game or so. Pretty much, yeah. I think I got like two, three hours into it, and it's not a long game. It's like four hours tops, maybe. And uh, and like, there's lots of things I liked about Rhyme. I en- I enjoyed some of the environmental puzzle solving. It does some stuff with light that I thought was quite cool. And I think just as an aesthetic, it definitely is the type of aesthetic I'm looking for, like almost Journey esque, uh, very white marbly, uh, and and kind of almost an eco vibe, like the main character has uh, yeah i was just about to say yeah yeah has kind of a um uh yeah that like that the last guardian vibe. kind of thing going on sure yeah. totally um, um did you get up to a, an area which is sort of predominantly indoors uh yeah i think so with like lights and stuff and you're going around a circle or something like that i don't know um <laughs> basically there's an area where you're kind of guiding a, like guardians like a big giant thing right i uh, maybe not i don't okay. know i remember there being a giant pterodactyl thing that was swooping over the sky and i right. had to hide in shadows to be away from it yeah, that was maybe halfway into the game because i found okay. this game took between kind of five and six hours actually oh interesting and I'd say well, about two to three hours in is when you kind of are in that area with the the giant pterodactyl thing sure you. i mean also keep in mind that bali has time dilation and so it takes him at least 30 <laughs> percent longer to finish games than i do but um... hey, i i beat it on what how long to beat to what i should be oh really so, okay yeah. all right um, well that's fair but yeah I, I don't have very strong feelings about this game honestly i think that <laughs> good it, great <laughs> it it runs like 
it doesn't run the best. So I played it on Xbox One on Game Pass, and uh, I, I've not played the Switch version, so I don't know how much better or worse it runs, but it doesn't... All I'm going to say about the Switch version is that it made me motion sick. That's how yeah. bad the frame rate was. It's incredibly blurry resolution on the, the right. handheld device. Really, what I've heard from people is the PC version is the only viable version of right, this game. Right. And, and like I should say, the Switch version has had an update since you tried it. That and there were some people saying it's considerably better, but still not great. I so I have tried it. Like I did go back to it when they did that update, and right. I didn't really notice much. Okay. Like there is a little bit of improved frame rate, but it doesn't stop the big areas from just being a tanking mess. Right. right? So. Um, I never found it was absolutely tanking, but it was definitely a wobbly frame rate generally, especially on the open areas. Uh, and it di- it wasn't that smooth, but there was enough the fact that it was a short game the fact that like it is environmental puzzles that, that i generally enjoy and i think they are quite strong environmental puzzles yeah they're uh, quite good i was kind of into it so this game almost has like zelda vibes journey vibes there's some really there's some stuff that's a lot like the last guardian as i said like guiding around kind of giant walking guardian type golem things at the end of the game which i thought was quite interesting and it's weird because it kind of tries to be all of these games, but I don't think it's very good at being any one of them. I kind right. of like, so you start in like a very open area that feels a lot more like Zelda and the open areas, I agree, like chug really badly, but then the indoor areas later with like where you're guiding around guardians run so much more smoothly. And they're actually visually really impressive when there's like lots of guardians on the screen all moving. And it's like, this is actually now running a lot more smoothly, which is strange. And it's, it's, it's frustrating because that is like the final third of the game. Well, it makes sense, right? That's generally how things work is that when you know games have bigger spaces it's much harder it, like it's happened when I'm playing Tomb Raider on my PC is like in the open spaces, the frame rate instantly i see a hit taken as soon as you go inside indoors where it's a bit darker stuff like that it's much easier to maintain a consistent one um that's just yeah. the nature of how games work so and it's just a shame because a lot of people like yourself will be turned off by that frame rate very early on and then it's actually a lot smoother in the final third of the game which is just because yeah. that's when they introduce a lot more indoor areas um so i, I actually think this get out of those games i suggest it's trying to kind of be journey the most and that's kind of in a way what i think is maybe its biggest flaw is that i think the game just goes on a bit like journey is so short and punchy and the pacing feels just right this game just feels like the areas are maybe a bit too big and but it's still trying to go for the kind of impactful moments like a journey does that kind of reveal this great thing off in the distance that you're going to kind of go towards and i i wish it had just either decided to be shorter and more journey like or just you know slower and more zelda like with these environmental puzzles because it's kind of just doing both where you feel slowed down by a lot of the environment environmental puzzles when you're really just wanting to move on to the next area see the next kind of wonder that this game has to show you and a lot of the reveals especially in the late game i thought were very weak like the resolution is is uh, is a very strange strangely told tale that i don't think makes a ton of sense especially compared to the early game uh especially compared to a game like journey like it just feels very weird and like the character you play as he kind of like the way that he platforms and there's like these ledges that are 
uh marked with kind of like white chalk almost that are in a very uncharted kind of yes the, uh, the naughty dog style of design yeah just well, this is where you can jump and can't jump sort of thing um all the animations around jumping and and that kind of platforming do feel very quite clunky and i think that's obviously something that came like johnny just completely avoids by not having you know a you're not controlling a person in that game as such so the fact that they go for like this person that you're controlling the physics just doesn't feel quite right and feels um the finish on the physics just doesn't feel good uh, on top of like the clunkiness so even if it ran completely smoothly it still feels uh, clunky in a way so it's that- I, it kind of reads to me as one of those types of games where the animation was a higher priority than the feel of the play right like yeah which oftentimes will be a it's it's i think a conflict that often happens in games between animation teams and design teams of like hey we need this character to look really cool but the design team's like well we need it to feel good as well and like be snappy and like and, and things like that so it's i think it's kind of this constant battle that happens um and it mm. seems like the animation team kind of won out uh, in terms of trying to be more artistic uh, than yeah. actual uh, following through but on mechanics wise i think my favorite moment of the game is where you're basically putting a, this guardian together and then you are this guardian is actually one of many guardians that you're kind of guiding to this the end game section really and that the way that that's told and visually just looks incredible but then the second you get to like the final area the game is like, oh yeah, i need to collect these three things there's always like this the world opens up again and then you need to collect three things or do uh. three things and it's just like because it's giving you those journey punchy moments revealing these are the guardians and they're walking to the end game and this is what's going to happen and then all the momentum is lost because the game is oh yeah you need to collect these three things it's just make it two things make it one thing or just make it more linear where it needs to be it just feels so it's so many different ideas it's almost like um kind of game by committee in some ways that yeah. oh, we've got to have the zelda part we've got to have the journey part we've got to have that part where you're guiding the guardians through the through the tunnel and it's, it's very strange so like i think there's really strong moments in this game but it's not it's not consistent for like a five to six hour game which is more or less what it took me so i, I don't think i would recommend this i think if you have access to journey it's definitely a stronger game and then if you're interested in like environmental puzzles and uh, that sort of thing. Zelda's just hitting it out of the park, obviously. Like, and this 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 game is just kind of uh, falling a bit flat in some of those, and it's it's obviously not helped by the way it runs. So yeah, yeah. that's that's rhyme on Xbox One that um, I've been playing. Yeah, it. Uh, I think it just aspires to things that it never quite hits, yeah. right? Like it because um... from trailers and things, it just looks awesome, but it just doesn't quite live up to that. Oh yeah, I, I think it sells itself definitely on the strength of an art style and on the strength of a vibe, and unfortunately, I don't think those things are enough to carry yeah. it through. Yeah like the more mediocre aspects of it yeah um, and some of the so. environmental puzzles i should have said are actually very good it, and like with the, as you said like with the shadows and moving yeah. balls to different locations and that right. sort of thing like but, that's part of the reason why i was so frustrated playing it on switch and how poorly it ran was i was like man like i do actually really enjoy some of these environmental puzzles yeah. and and yeah. like they're not like top tier but like they're generally well done and some of them yeah. stumped me a little bit like got me to think so yeah. yeah it's it's unfortunate that it ended up the way it did so oh well that's how it goes but otherwise we've been playing with a new smash brothers character in yeah min min who came out last week and yes we had a good session online playing against each other and definitely 
Min's kind of cool. I I don't know that any of the new tier characters that have crazy innovative movesets are of my cup of tea, but... Uh, yeah, you've not really connected with any of the DLC characters. Not yet. I mean, uh, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for Master Chief, but uh, I, oh, just find, course, yeah. I just find that um, it's very kind of... They're all very steep learning curves, and I, I, my the characters I like are obviously a lot more vanilla, and these characters just kind of... I'm not prepared to go on that steep learning curve necessarily. Uh, and that's probably because I'm maybe not invested in the games these characters are from as much. That's maybe the first step that I think is the, on the, the path to falling in love with like a Smash Brothers character is like loving the game that they're from, I think is sure. always a good start. Yeah. Uh, but I think Min Min is very cool the way that she has these uh, two controllable arms using the special button and the, the A button. Like I think it, it's very different and i'm really interested in like what the competitive scene makes of her yeah she um she's definitely hard to get used to because i'm the type of player who is always up in your face usually like when i play into you bally at least uh i always want to close distance and you always want to keep distance you always run away from me you stand on ledges you try and fucking yoshi egg me off the side like a little bitch um or you're like throwing fireballs as mario like Bali, I, I can see it every time he chooses a character. He's, he has the same tactic, which is stand on the edge and shoot at me from across the stage a lot of the time. <laughs> he does it with Samus. He does it with Mario's fireballs. And obviously, you know, it's not the only thing you do, but it's just one of those consistent things I find. Whereas my characters tend to be, they always have a counter. They always come in close. They always try and knock you off the edge when you're off the stage it's also me just being a bit of a maverick and trying to do cool things off the side and so often in the games we have i just lose a stock because i'm just trying to trick off the side of the stage and do a fancy thing and then i die um which is that's just me not being very good at conserving my uh lead or just any momentum i have in a game and and yeah that's my personal issue but min min is hard because when i try to do that with her you can't right she's not really a close-up character she does have um she has a pretty good like repeating a move where like she does the super long kicks and stuff like that but she is all about distance and about closing distance and making sure that you have enough space between you and your opponent and i think that it's hard to land hits with her arms because it is a bit of a long wind up and it goes out and it doesn't go that quickly and because of that people are easily able to jump over them and when they come back there's no like recoil on the back hit so she's taking a lot of getting used to Uh, i do like that you're able to switch up the arms and have different versions of them so that that definitely helps with ledge guarding in terms of like the one that spins up and has a bit of an arc to it or even the one that's just a really big heavy belter that's really good as a finishing move um but yeah some of the other aspects of her i i think it's it's interesting because she doesn't really have special moves that she maybe feels a bit plainer than some of the other Smash characters. I don't know how you feel about that, Bally, but it's just like, because it's just one arm and another arm, there's less kind of unique. It's not like Hero where there's like 7 million moves that you can yeah. pop out. I mean, she basically doesn't have any special moves, essentially. She just has like half special moves and then that's also counting for her regular moves. Um I think what is unique about her is she can actually smash mid-air. So she can be like jumping in the air and still get out like a smash attack. Whereas every other character, to my knowledge, like you have to be on the ground before you can do like an up smash, side smash, down smash. Yeah, and that definitely can come into handy when you're either off the stage or trying to get stop someone from getting back on. But again, it's all about 
making sure you hit. And I think it's just about learning how fast her arms get pushed out, uh, as well as being able to remember that, like, you can push them out and then hold a button in order to do, like, the dragon fire at the end of it. Um, so there's, like, there's added little wrinkles there, which I think I appreciate quite a lot, because I do like the weirdness of these DLC characters. I appreciate that they are definitely trying to implement much more of the game mechanics and the games that they're from so like joker summoning his persona or hero having a mana bar and doing all these different spells that he can learn um banjo is more usual the only thing he has is like the weird feather side smash type deal um which is like a limited resource for him um and then i like terry bogard a lot terry it's interesting you say about like oh you have to be really familiar with a character to start getting into them i knew fucking nothing about terry he's one of my favorite he's probably after joker my favorite dlc character joker's definitely my number one then terry because terry has just a lot of variety to him he also has the weird like fighting game special moves that i learned and are actually very very cool uh and yeah and i like he he has almost a captain falcon energy to him but with much better options in terms of his and obviously this worked out poorly against you when i was playing with him against your pikachu but like he does have a ranged option that can hit people he does have a kind of quick sprint punch that will take you towards someone quickly uh but and he he's i think is his down b where he does his weird angle i'm all about weird angles i really like joker's strange angled like snap fingers uh fire move um i like uh the same thing with robin with the shadow kind of move um i like when characters have a type of approach to enemies that isn't usual and i think min min does have that it's just it's a little trickier for me to get my head around so i I would like to play a lot more of her um we actually have we're doing a smash brothers tournament today uh in our discord so i wonder if anyone will play as min min if anyone's confident (laughs) enough to do that uh, and see how it it shapes out for them can we talk about a move that you used as dragon quest hero um, okay playing against me when the Uh match started Um, god i really this is just like the definition of the goofiness of smash (laughs) brothers but like yeah go so yeah i think i can't even remember what character i think i might have been playing as zelda and you were dragon quest hero and dragon quest hero for those who don't know you have to like his special like you can scroll down a list of literal moves that are taken from i believe about 30 moves that he has so many and then you can spend mp on those mp gradually charges up i believe and you can spend mp on those moves uh and then he pulls off the move and one of those moves is called is it it can't be called suicide is it called no it's kamikaze kamikaze and uh, it's essentially there to be used when you, I guess you're on very high damage and you think you can get near your opponent and then sort of explode and kind of do a lot of damage to them. Uh, MBZ thought it was a good idea to use this move while I was playing as Zelda well, miles back from him I... um, straight away on a three-stock match when the timer had just started. I I didn't choose it. Like, it's one of those things where you start going down the list and you panic and you're just like, oh, just click a thing. So, like, at the start of the match, I open my menu, scroll down two slots and press A and I'm like, the realization hits me as I press A that I just blew myself up right at the start of the match. And I was like, I better not do that in the tournament. I'm not going to play as a hero in this tournament. He's too much of a liability uh, because I panic when I go to the menu. Uh, So... I mean, I'm sure there are people who are very good at him. I feel like he's been banned maybe from tournament stuff because of his RNG. Really? Yeah. Um, I mean, he's... I don't find him that threatening because as 
if you do your tactic every day of getting up in someone's face with hero and you don't give them enough time to stand back and actually read the moves they have then like yes i think he's not too difficult to dispatch of to be honest well the thing is i think if i played him more usually and just randomly threw in moves here and there like when i had a spare moment to like, do space, one of the down yeah. b um because his actual main moves are really good like the lightning attack is great the fire attack is great he has really good physical reach with his sword he actually just as a regular character without the the mana and the uh usage of the spells he he can just be used as a very good kind of traditional magic slash sword user kind of like robin in a sense um so i think if i am to play him again it's definitely to be a bit more wary uh but but yeah min min overall i need to play more as her i need to figure out her moves a bit more and and, and get my head around it but i like her so far and uh and yeah i don't know that she's gonna be one of my mains i don't think she's gonna be like a character i go back to one of the things i do like is the grab because she just like arms does you can just throw your two arms out and grab people from far away so it gives me like zero suit samus vibes which i love zero suit samus's grab so that's definitely a thing i appreciate i feel like min min's is and that's about an issue i guess with a lot of her moves is how telegraphed they all are like yeah they don't they're not the quickest to get out there and i think well there are there are a few i think her legs ironically are the fastest thing <laughs> she has because uh she has the traditional down if you're in the air do your kind yes. of down spike like yeah. zero suit samus like Sheik does uh she also has a slide which i'm a huge fan of slides part of the reason i love cloud and joker is because they both have downward slides and then she also has an up tilt or an up smash i can't remember which it is that will reflect projectiles but it's also a really good spike move if someone's coming down on top of you so she does have a lot of elements that i actually vibe with it's just her arms are the thing that you have to get used to and figure out more than anything um totally. so, so yeah min min very cool uh i'm sure we'll play more as her in the coming uh months weeks however long it takes for more smash brothers characters to come out um the other things i have been playing so uh i was listening to an episode of rfn and james jones started talking about the case in dual destinies where you defend a whale and i was like wait a second i never played that case because that was a dlc case that they added after the game came out um and i was like well let's figure okay so here's my story actually of figuring out how do you buy dlc on the 3ds eShop in 2020 because let me tell you people it's a bit of a saga to go through and figure out what the hell is going on um so what happened recently uh maybe a year ago or so nintendo on uh, i think this might be gdpr or something to do with data protection in europe there is a law passed that didn't allow nintendo to basically let people use credit cards on the 3ds eShop, which is fine um recently when i bought all those atlas games in a sale like they're all five quid like radiant historia and things like this you can just go to the nintendo website and you can say here's the game i want to buy it and you can buy it for the exact amount of money it costs so you don't have to add to wallet you can just be like i'll buy it and if your 3ds is linked which it should be in order to do this um, and you have it set up your 3ds in sleep mode will actually just automatically start downloading the game which is really cool um and and i did that for those games i got those fine that's no problem but basically you can't go through the 3ds eShop itself and use a card if you want to spend money on the 3ds eShop, you have to use either currency you've already added to your wallet or use a code from nintendo that you can redeem and and then get a thing so the problem with phoenix right is that to buy dlc in dual destinies the dlc 
only exists for purchase within the game itself. There is no page on the eShop to buy the DLC. You have to go to the game, to the extra section, find the DLC menu, click on it, and it will then take you to an eShop sub-menu, which will then ask you to pay for it. However, within that eShop sub-menu, you cannot use a credit card. So, I was losing my fucking mind. Like, how am I supposed to even buy this product in the first place? What it turns out you have to do is you then have to go to the Nintendo website, which I tried to find the DLC on the Nintendo website. You can't. You go to the Dual Destinies page. It says it has DLC, and yet you cannot purchase it directly through the website. I had to add an amount, the minimum for which is £10. So regardless of the fact that this DLC costs £3.99, I have to put £10 onto my account, which actually turns out to be not too bad just because... You now have a shared wallet between 3DS, Wii U, and Switch. So when I added that money, the leftover money is still on my Switch account. When when did that start? Because it didn't used to be the case. No, I think it, as soon as the Switch came out, you had a shared wallet between 3DS, Wii U, and Switch. That was from the beginning because people were worried about what if I have currency left over in my Wii U shop or my 3DS right. eShop. Nintendo were like, straight away, you can carry that over. Uh, so I do, I still have six quid and one pence remaining in my Switch account if I want to use it there or if I want to go back to the 3DS and for example buy the dlc case for spirit of justice which was the sixth phoenix Wright game which i probably will get around to as well um basically i had to add that 10 pound amount then go back to my 3ds go through the menu to phoenix Wright dlc then it would allow me it would recognize that i had 10 pounds in my account use it to pay for the 399 and i finally got access to the dlc Um, But I just wanted to say that because if you are wondering how to buy content on the 3DS in 2020, it's a fucking ball ache (laughs) and it is not well handled, especially in these very niche cases. And I understand like I am one of the nichest consumers there are is out there. There's like 0.3% of people are like me where six years later they're going back to a Phoenix Wright DLC case, right? Um, But it's still not a good thing. And I think it just belies some of the problems with how Nintendo's digital market used to be set up in the way that some games had you buy stuff within the product some games had you go to the eShop. some things you could only buy from the eShop. some things you could only buy from the menu it was a it was useless um anyway i played the dlc it was good uh, <laughs> i don't know if i have a huge amount to say about it it's funny uh, you essentially the the case is that there's a killer whale who is accused of murdering the the captain there's this it's the setup is there's this aquarium and at the aquarium there's this big show that they put on that has a pirate captain and a, another pirate and they use this big orca uh, killer whale as one of the centerpieces of it and it turns out that the captain dies and people are accusing the orca of committing the murder uh, and of course you have to defend the orca in court which leads to moments like when you do a cross-examination of this orca and it just goes tweet 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 like it just makes noises the entire time and then at the end everyone just like the judge is like are you seriously gonna cross-examine this orca phoenix right and then phoenix is like hmm, i need to think of a way how do i cross-examine an orca so like it, it look it's funny uh, i is it in a big tank in the courtroom how's this happening no so yeah so it actually they they bring it on via video conferencing uh-huh. uh, so they just put a giant tv on the stand so the orca is still in the aquarium they like video link up to the orca um and that's kind of how they deal with it uh so it i definitely it's one of those cases where the interesting thing isn't the culprit because you find out who the culprit is i wouldn't say early on but like earlier on into like the second day of the trial than you would usually expect and then it's more of the case of like oh there are actually different circumstances going on around here and 
I, it, for me, like the way Phoenix Wright works and the way in which it wraps everything up in this neat little bow every single time, each piece of evidence is perfectly positioned and used to recontextualize moments. And there's a great moment at the end where you're like, oh shit, this is a way that I prove this. That's a really interesting way of thinking. And to some degree, it feels a little obvious and i think dual destinies is much easier of a phoenix right game than some of the others because usually the end of a case phoenix will do this mind thing where he goes through in his head like okay here are the possibilities x or y uh a or b and like you go through and you usually have two or three choices to make and usually you will map it out pretty easily as he goes along with it and the last reveal of that one is like that's clever like i I really liked it and i think it all wraps round. and there's an even more last reveal that happens that i was like oh this even more recontextualizes things so i i just love the series for being able to do that i think the writing is as sharp and acerbic as it ever has been Uh, and it's just nice to have more phoenix right to play in this world where we're still waiting for capcom to say anything about ace attorney 7 if there's even gonna be one is it gonna come to switch who the hell knows uh but it's been a while now i think 2016 was spirits of justice so so yeah it was just nice to be back in the world again uh, i love phoenix right like any 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 new cases you give me i'm there for uh, you know this one didn't blow me away but i think it just it's really like it shows the the solid idea that that series has always had and it just executes on another really solid one so um yeah if you if you haven't checked that out i'd recommend going back to it i also just want to shout out capcom's ability to make games look incredible on the 3ds uh not only because the 3d stuff is great but like the character models the animation one of my favorite things about phoenix right is when the uh person who committed the murder or the person who is the actual person who's guilty loses their mind at the end of a trial and i don't know how many of those you got in the original game but they do custom animations for and the one that they do for this <laughs> person is really good and just looks fantastic and i i really enjoyed it so shout out to capcom hopefully they come back with phoenix right in the future um that was great uh and then the other thing that i've been playing is a free-to-play game that came out on switch recently that is very very inspired by the style of splatoon a lot of people calling it splatoon light um ninjala is a multiplayer online battle arena game kind of um with bubblegum and giant bats and different uh weapons i say bats as in like the thing you hit people with not the thing that gets annoying me in ice bats and caves and twilight princess um so ninjala is weird because i think fundamentally it's one of the best looking and running switch games out there i didn't expect when i first saw footage of it for it to be like a flawless 60 frames per second and to look really sharp on the handheld screen but it does like I'm, i'm actually really shocked by that because this type of game like splatoon you kind of want that um and you tend to not get it on switch i think part of the reason is that you have things like overwatch which is from a higher-end system and so it, it finds it much trickier to like run with a solid frame rate um even when apex comes out later this year i would be shocked if that thing ran at 60 frames per second because i i doubt it is even able to try to do that like fortnite can't do that um fortnite seems like art style wise a much more cartoony easier mm. thing to do so so yeah, I'm really I was surprised by how well it ran, but I think it's also because the scope of it is is kind of small, like similar to Splatoon, like the arena is kind of smallish. You only have a few playable people on on the map at once. And it kind of I haven't played the team game yet, but the main thing, the main mode is called Battle Royale, and it's not like a traditional Battle Royale. It's more just like everyone against everyone. They just needed they just wanted the word. <laughs> yeah, they just you got it's all about buzzwords these days. Uh so it's like 10 or 8 players I think in a map. 
and there are some really interesting mechanics so you have a lot of different moves you can do you you can shoot out bubble gum so every character has a piece of bubble gum and they blow it out of their mouth and you can increase the size of this bubble gum by hitting these drones so they're drones littered around the arena every time you hit a drone you increase um a bar at the bottom of the screen and once that bar is full then you can use your bubble gum to transform your weapon into like a larger weapon and that larger weapon will do much more damage to your opponents um there are special moves you can use so you can do a super dash or you can shoot out a web that sticks people um these depend on what weapon you're using each weapon kind of like splatoon has like a special an ultimate and whatever right you know how you get like some some of them will give you like the carpet bomb some of them will give you the uh the fly in the air shooty thing it's kind of similar to that in terms of its setup and um and and then you kind of just hit people right like the game is kind of you go around and you hit people and when you get engaged in combat four arrows will appear on the screen when you start hitting someone usually and that will allow you to like counter them it feels like a kind of rock paper scissors deal where your opponent will choose a direction you will choose a direction and depending on which directions you choose either one of you will win or one of you will lose out and so one person will hit the other person and they'll get the advantage i still have no fucking idea how it works like it seems it's just pure luck then rock paper scissors that's it kind of does feel like pure luck and i don't know I don't know whether, say your opponent chooses up. If you choose up, does that cancel each other out? If your opponent chooses up and you choose down, does that cancel each other out? Or does that mean you win because you chose down and they chose up? If you choose left and they choose up, how does it work with that? Like, because it's, you can choose any direction. It doesn't, I don't understand it. Basically, I really, and the game does have lots of tutorialization at the start where it tells you all these individual aspects and yet it doesn't explain this like main mechanic which you will see probably more than any other mechanic which is you're going to be in combat with people and so you're going to have this face-off style thing the game doesn't explain that at all in its tutorialization so i was left completely baffled by that i i really don't understand how they made that decision um and i haven't looked it up i'm sure there are youtube videos explaining what it means and all that stuff but yeah it's it's weird and i think one of the problems with it is i've put maybe two and a half three hours into it and I kind of feel like I'm done. There's only one arena at the moment, and the mode is not that interesting. I definitely have had good moments. There's a good game feel to it, and there's some real neat underlying mechanics. So, like, if you jump, you do a double jump. So you can double jump. You can run on walls. If you have a bubble blown out in your mouth and you do a double jump, the double jump won't be a second jump. It will be like a dash through the air so that you can zoom closer to somebody to close a distance. So there are like slight small mechanics there to to make it a bit more fresh and interesting. But ultimately, I kind of feel like I've seen it all now and I've won a bunch of times and I, I feel like I don't know whether it's worth me even going back to, you know, um there's there's really cool things about it like i the world is neat and and i think the characters look great there's some cool customization options in there but as a fundamental mechanical level there is nothing driving me to keep playing this game like i feel like within a few hours i've kind of been there done that um so i do wonder how they expand it if they add constant updates to it there's already a bunch of story content that you can go and buy for like 5.99 on the eShop, which is just like a story mode which i don't know if that's hand designed levels kind of like the splatoon single player or if it's anything else but um it's far less splatoon than i thought it was going to be like the splatoon aspect of it is 
pretty much purely aesthetic, uh, because the mechanics are wildly different, and it's trying to be a different thing. Still an online multiplayer bit game, but a different type of multiplayer game. So, so yeah, I mean, it's free, uh, so check it out. Uh, it, it definitely has more of a Nintendo vibe than a lot of the other multiplayer games that tend to come out these days. So, so I think it works for a Nintendo audience. Do you and think people will stick to it? Think it'll, or is it a flash in the pan? It's... Um, yeah, for me, I'm not going to stick with it at all. Like, it, it definitely hasn't drawn me in. But I, I could see younger players getting really into it. Like, it's one of those things where when I was younger, I would definitely be more willing to go along and, and play something like this and spend all my hours on it. But I think at this point in my life, I'm like, you know, I kind of get what this is, right? Like, I understand it. And also, if you're younger, like, you're not going to be as good. So, like, the grind to get good enough to win matches and things is probably going to be a bit more of an incentive for you. Whereas, like, I don't, maybe it's just because people were new to the game, but within the first day of playing it, I had a match where I won the game by a clean 3,000 points or so. Um, so I just had dominated it completely. And, um... And yeah, there's like different strategy to it. Like part of the strategy is you get a bunch of points for for splatting people on the side of the wall. And like when you get splattered to the side of the wall, you get a bunch of gum around you and it says Ippon. And I don't know what Ippon means. Um, maybe Bali with your having been to Japan knowledge, you might know what Ippon means. But um, it just says Ippon. And then you get points for how many people got an Ippon, which is basically at the end of the match Mario Party style, people just get bonus points. So sometimes you'll be in third and then some other dude will have hit more drones than you or will have had the higher ippon score and so they get bumped up and you go down the ranking so um yeah it's weird it's it's i i do appreciate it for being something new and different an ippon is the highest score a fighter can achieve in a japanese martial arts ippon wazari contest usually kendo judo karate or jujitsu interesting and it means like one full point that's cool. Um, well, yeah, I guess that's what they're pulling that from. Um, because when you get splattered on the wall, you're covered in gum, you can't move, you're done. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I wish it was a bit more. I wish there was more to it, really. Um, because at its, though it is complicated with it, how many systems it has, it fundamentally, when it comes down to it, kind of feels a bit button mashy. Um, and, and that's maybe a little unfair, but I do think the random element of the, the directional pad stuff just it doesn't lend to a game that is competitive. It, 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 it's just an element of randomness that I don't appreciate. So, so yeah, check it out. It's free. Um, but, you know, not, not the greatest. Um, cool. That is going to close us out for the first segment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this break talking about some of your emails. See you in a bit. Hello everyone and welcome back 
into the second segment of today's show. And we said we're low on emails. It's happened yeah. again. You know, we we put Bucket out a call dry. every few weeks. It kind of it's like, oh, we got some emails. That's great. And then we go through those emails, and then the emails dry up again. So I know we are putting out the call. If you have a comment, a question, please email thisnintendolife at gmail dot com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail dot com. Uh, you can also leave a comment in our Discord server. Uh, there's a little emails thread in there that you can leave an email, a comment in there, and that will also get read out on the show so yeah we would really appreciate more emails uh it really strengthens the segment and the show generally so that would be great our first email this week is from tim who says i thought i would ask a few shorter questions since i don't have any big discussion points to ask about so the first question are there any games that you really would like to play and think you would like a lot that you don't think you will ever play for various reasons for me, it has always been Shadow of the Colossus being only on PlayStation. Unfortunately, it seems like Persona 5 is joining that list. Uh, Bali, do you want to take some of this? You, I think, recently have been able to uh, avoid some of this issue because you've now own everything. <laughs> yeah, so I I sort of reached, a, I guess, a cracking point, a breaking point in um, like 2018 where... I think the last five years has been an absolute ton of incredible games. I think games are getting better. We are obviously living in a really awesome time for the medium. Uh, And as a result, I was finding it harder and harder to be a Nintendo-only gamer. And, you know, Shadow of the Colossus is a game. It's quite a good example that I've not played yet. I'd love to play that remastered game on uh, PlayStation. But yeah, games like Spider-Man, God of War, the Uncharted series, they were just these PlayStation exclusives. I was like, I, I would really like to play these. And it kind of reached a point where there were so many of them and the PlayStation 4 price was, in my eyes, like, you know, cheap enough that I just thought it was a really... Like, video playing video games is right now my number one hobby and i dedicate a lot of time to it between this podcast and other things and i think if you if it is your number one hobby you just kind of have to think financially what can i afford what can't i afford and how much money should i spend on you know something that is really important to me and i just sort of reached the point of i can afford this i should buy this i should enjoy these other systems so yeah i got the playstation 4 in 2018 and then obviously the xbox one earlier this year and I am very pleased to be able to try new experiences because right now there's a very small number of games it feels like that are locked off from me that are out currently and obviously like past games are another a slightly different discussion uh but i other than like a handful of vr games because obviously like i have jumped on psvr i think i have pretty much access there's, there's some pc exclusives i guess but otherwise there's i have access to almost all these games and i think it is just rather than playing all the games on one system, being able to play the best games from every system is almost like an even sweeter sandwich when you kind of think about it like that. Yeah, it uh, gives you a lot more choice and, and, and availability. I Obviously, I, I own literally everything. I even own a goddamn PlayStation Vita, so I could play Persona, but now Persona... So you picked up your PS3 in 2011? 11. So that is quite yeah. a while ago that you were already kind of trying out non-Tendo things, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, I owned a PlayStation 1, Bally, so, like, since childhood. I mean, right? I barely like, count had... that based on, like, 
Hey, like I owned a lot of PlayStation One games, man. Like a significant amount. Like watch that video I did of going through my collection. Shocking numbers of racing games in particular. I think I have four PS One racing games. I'm like, why? One of these I don't even remember owning. Uh, so, so yes, that uh, for me at the moment, it's far more about older systems that I was never able to own, and so particular standout games are are things that came out on say the Dreamcast or on like older sega consoles um or like weird like deep cut things like game gear and weird shit like that which like i've i've never been that super into that side of video games but it's one of those weak points for me that i would like to shore up my knowledge on like i'd love to to learn more about sega and there's some good books out there about you know sega and nintendo and the battle in the 90s and things like that but um in terms of Nintendo games that I still want to play that are really hard to get access to because they're fucking expensive if you want an actual version of them, uh, Chibi Robo is a huge one for me. The original Chibi Robo I've been interested in playing for so long and I really want to play it, but accessing that game in the modern era, aside from using emulation, which I could do potentially, is impossible. So I, I really want some of these older GameCube games, Wii games to get remastered or to just even just be put on the switch randomly i, I was talking to bali and, and, and devon actually about this was there are these old games that just get randomly put up on the shop and stuff like tie the tasmanian tiger and um and like tack and the power of juju and all these like old weird playstation slash gamecube platformers that that had come out back in the day that just are randomly now on the switch eShop um sphinx and the cursed mummy right like stuff like that where i'm like oh this is cool that they're just putting they're just dumping them here right like show me the the hobbit game from gamecube that weird art style that it had like i want to i want to dig into some of that older stuff but chibi robo is a huge one um because it's just so hard to get a hold of and it's weird because that franchise has kind of died at this point skip is i don't even know what skip is working on but um after ziplash like the abysmal sales and just ziplash just very uninspired as a game generally uh it feels like that series is dead in the water um joining the ranks of f-zero advanced wars all of bally's favorites and uh <laughs> and yeah i i really want to play the original gamecube chibi robo because like it, it you know what it reminds me of is the old uh, toy story game on playstation because that's what chibi robo basically is he's like a a tiny little character in a in a giant house and I just love that concept. Like, I love the borrowers. I love the idea of tiny people in a house and everything in the house is huge. Because it, like, especially in the Toy Story game, it just makes, it makes an obstacle course out of stuff that is just ordinary items. And I just, I love that concept generally. Um, so that's a big one. The other big one for me is The Last Story. Um, the uh, the Sakaguchi game after Sakaguchi obviously left uh, Square Enix um, and the Final Fantasy series was handed over to other people. He uh, he went in and found a Mistwalker and has these days is a bummer because like Mistwalker's just been doing mobile games like Terra Battle and stuff like that. I'm like, man, Sakaguchi's like he's the, the the king of Final Fantasy and the last story was really the the only big game I think that Mistwalker has done that is a more traditional console experience. And you know it was part of the Operation Rainfall back in the day with Xenoblade and Pandora's Tower. And I have wanted to play the last story for so goddamn long, but just like Chibi Robo it's overpriced to hell uh, and i really should have made the decision back then because i remember browsing amazon in what the early 2000 uh, late 2010s and uh seeing oh yeah lost stories 30 quid i'm like oh that's still that's kind of like a regular price i should have just fucking bought it man because now it's like 90 and i can't there's no way to find 
those games for decent prices and it sucks and it's a bummer and they should just re-release them xenoblade deservedly so has gotten a bunch of remakes and uh, pandora's tower was actually re-released on the wii u backwards compatibility download thing for for wii u for wii games um and they they did the same with xenoblade actually but uh never the last story and i've always wondered why i want to know why and i want to play that game so chibi robo and the last story are two games which i desperately want to play but like i can't see myself playing them ever until either they get to a reasonable price or they get re-released which i just i don't have faith in that happening to either of them unfortunately so it's a bummer cool so our second question from tim is uh, what would it take for you to not buy a new game in one of your favorite franchises like Zelda or Xenoblade for MBZ? Could terrible trailers or marketing have that effect or would you buy the game anyway? Terrible reviews? Oh boy. Um, I think that if I wasn't doing this podcast, yes. Right? Like if something... I was about to say the same thing pretty much. Yes. If if something looked so unbelievably bad that I couldn't see myself playing it and i i really i the thing is that's not going to happen i i, I say this now and we look i'm cursing myself for the future this is a hypothetical like, in any Zel- case it is a hypothetical but like zelda and, and xenoblade as well like xenoblade i you know there are issues with the xenoblade series for sure um you know i xenoblade x is simultaneously the best game ever made and the worst piece of garbage right like it's it is literally both at once so it's 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 there have been uh there have been things that companies have tripped over in the past and you know people feel differently than i do about skyward sword they're all wrong of course but you know that's opinions for you um yeah i i no i don't think so i i don't think there is any way i would not buy a mainline zelda or xenoblade or fire emblem game for that matter um ever it's just not going to happen because regardless of the quality for me it's still interesting to examine what went wrong if something did go wrong right if something ended up being a bad game for me that's just as interesting discussing it as if it's a masterpiece and and so I, I will always be interested in playing those games if only because i have a platform here which to discuss them and warn people in, in that case about not playing the game right like that is definitely a service that we can also provide to people is say hey the, the version of this video game on this platform runs with a garbage frame rate do not touch it like you know and uh talk about rhyme that on on switch was terrible and i was like don't buy this on switch it's a it's a bad version so so yeah uh i i don't think there is anything that would dissuade me as long as i'm still doing this podcast um there, there's def- certainly a world in which I maybe don't pick it up in the future like in when I'm old and I'm a crusty old 70 year old person if I live that long god hoping um if the world is even around that long who the fuck knows these days uh but yeah I I I have no idea anytime I wouldn't because I think especially with Zelda I'm such a lifelong fan of that franchise now I just I I have to know it's the morbid curiosity that gets me more than anything else so i think there's only one new story that's bigger than breath of the wild 2 being good and that would be breath of the wild 2 being bad and i oh, think yeah. that in our position of you know we're not i wouldn't call this journalism what we do but we are commentating on like games and releases we're and pundits things. we're pundits and i think that um us talking about a bad breath of the wild 2 would be very good listening uh and i even regardless of doing this show i would want to play a bad zelda if that's yeah because because of as you said mbz it is interesting it's like hmm, i wonder where this has gone so 
it's, it's almost like, like you said, lifelong Zelda fans. I'm going to see the next Star Wars film no matter what, even if it is hot trash, you know? And Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, for sure. I think it is kind of similar where I will have that interest in, I wonder if it's going to be bad or good. And yeah, I know that a lot of people were kind of like very lukewarm on Skyward Sword after like all those launch kind of reviews, but I still think everyone played Skyward Sword, right? And like, I don't think... Well, apparently not, because on a system of 100 million, it only sold 3 million <laughs> copies, so it yeah, doesn't I, seem like yeah. it. Yeah, I just mean like critical media, but sure. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I um, yeah, so I, I think that the hypothetical where Zelda is bad, I think we're still playing Zelda. We're still talking about Zelda. Are we having as much appreciation for Zelda? Maybe not, because we obviously, we like good Zelda as much as everyone else. But yeah, I think we're still going to be spending our money on bad games, if that is the case. Yeah, and I think Mario is different because there are certain, like, hey, new Super Mario Brothers U I didn't fuck with, man. You know, I'm not, I, don't, I don't care about yeah. that. And we're not sort of lifelong 2D Mario fans in the same way we are as like Zelda. Like it's a lot, yes, definitely a lot closer to us. And of course, we're big fans of 3D Mario a lot more so. Yeah, for sure. Uh, question number three. We have heard some of your controversial opinions before, like MZ famously hating Metroid Prime, but what other video games opinions do you have that could instantly start a Twitter war? I could imagine the carnage if I stated such opinions of mine, which instantly become f- facts as soon as they are posted online, of course, as Other M is a more enjoyable game than Super Metroid and Majora's Mask far surpasses Ocarina of Time. Um, boy, I've got lots, I think. I think I just have loads of controversial opinions that people don't like, um, and I say them oftentimes on this show. Um, th- yeah, I mean, th- we we have the traditional ones we go back to, which is Octopath Traveler is, is, okay, it's not bad. Like, the thing is, Octopath Traveler has many good aspects to it. It's just, boy, that game your main is... criticisms with that game are almost because it, it promised so much, and then yes. you realize del- under-delivered on those promises. It's not it's that it's such a crushing disappointment itself, you know? yeah. is what it is, more yeah. than anything else. Um, it's a crushing disappointment. Uh, and I, you think, I think a lot of people also do hold that view, so I wouldn't say that's that controversial necessarily yeah. um there's there's certainly like other games such as red dead redemption 2 which i think is just a garbage piece of shit like i but like i say that obviously like that's a hyperbole because there are elements of red dead that are just completely excellent right like the performances and the voice acting and the story and all that stuff is great but like i never ever want to move a stick to move a character in that game ever in my life again um because it feels horrible and i think Again, I have weird sensitivities. I prefer Mario Kart 7 to Mario Kart 8. Most people will tell you, what's the difference, right? Like, Bally's like, what's it? I don't think you understand the difference between controlling those games. To me, there are very subtle little control nuances that make 7 a better playing game to me. Um, And I think that's just me being weird more than anything else but um but yeah any any for you bally that are like big ones that stand out yeah i mean said on the show before i think everyone's just way too fond of 2d mario um but I, and that that's ranging from we've talked about mario bros 3 super mario world i think yes. they obviously get far too much praise oh I right think. like my biggest controversial opinion is that Su- super mario brothers 3 is just not very good um it's just not yeah. fun it's it plays poorly like i think the momentum and physics are bad i but I also think that that's partial, like, it's personal preference because I think we prefer the more Donkey Kong style of momentum and movement and sliding, like, after you land a jump. I just don't like 
I don't like the physics of Mario. I I never have, and I think they they do a much better job in Mario Maker, making those older games feel more modern. Um, but yeah, traditional two D Mario, the feel of it has never sat right with me. Um, I've always been, I've, I've always cared more about like the more modern style of platformer like celeste or super meat boy and obviously the way that lives are built into those systems i don't i don't think hating lives is controversial anymore actually one of the cool things about the new crash bandicoot game crash 4 is that they're gonna have two modes one which is ha you have limited lives and one which is like lives are stupid like why like there's a modern mode and there's a classic mode and let me tell you i'm playing the fucking modern mode lives are stupid like i they make no sense in game design anymore and are completely pointless so so yeah that's another one i guess for me um and yeah just generally with mario i think it links to a wider thing where <laughs> nintendo as a company i think as much as they're praised for innovator being innovators I think they're also one of the safest companies out there and need to get more flack for it, honestly. Like, I do think series like the new Super Mario Brothers series, we've already talked a lot about Pokemon. I think we have seen through games like Breath of the Wild and Odyssey and Mario Maker and Splatoon, just when Nintendo innovate, they really hit it out the park. And I I think that it, and we are obviously a Nintendo podcast and we praise Nintendo a lot, but I think Nintendo deserve more flack for not reinventing some of their their core uh you know staples where they they are they're not gonna they gotta keep innovating to keep up their label of being the the core innovators so i think my controversial opinion would be sometimes we give uh, nintendo a free pass when i think we need to be harsher with them perhaps i don't know if that's that controversial i mean especially if you're talking (laughs) about people on the internet during the wii and wii u era i think a lot of people held that opinion um which yeah to some degree but but also, when Nintendo innovate, it's often within spaces we're familiar with, right? Like, Skyward Sword is a game about motion control, but it's a Zelda game, right? And that's they used it as a, as a way to experiment in that arena. Um, you know, Mario Galaxy is is a, a game that could have been a new IP unto itself, but it wasn't. It was a, it was a Mario game. Uh, and so I think that is one of the things I actually got frustrated with a lot of critics uh, back in that era was them saying oh all nintendo do is they put out a new zelda or a new mario and i'm like what the fuck man like it's basically a new game like they completely change the idea and the identity of that series every single time they refresh it um so so yeah maybe my controversial opinion would be the opposite of that maybe i don't know here's another Uh, one maybe um i think the trend of Fortnite streaming games multiplayer games I think we will look back on this period in 20 years. I don't think streaming and multiplayer games will be the same big thing they are now. And I think we will uh-huh. fall back a lot more on the linear story-driven single-player games. I think this is a, we're, I think I think it's more hype right now. I don't actually think this is a trend that's going to stay around for more than the next decade. I, I think, think you are so fucking wrong. It's unreal. <laughs> this, is my, this is also a hope. But yes. Like, I think the current trend in games is super unhealthy for the industry in the long run as the and as a medium and you know we've already talked about like Last of Us Part 2 but I think games like that when they sell well are just like the healthy one of the healthiest things for the medium is just like well told single player stories uh, whether they're third person first person or not I think that multiplayer games and the impact on the industry I, I think will be detrimental in, in the long run to our core experiences of what we enjoy in games now i yeah i i don't agree with that at all i I really don't yeah no that that is that is very controversial and in the in the sense that you think about what people growing up these days are playing 
it is all multiplayer games. Like, the kids these days do not play Mario. They just don't, right? Like, unless they're one of the rare kids who owns a Switch. But, like, the kids who came when I was working, like, with kids, they they were like, oh, yeah, I own that game. And they would show me their Switch, and they'd put, like, 10 hours into Mario Odyssey. And then I'd look at Fortnite, and it was, like, 1,600 hours. Like, I'm, that not, I'm tells... not denying these stories. I just don't think they're good for the industry. Well, yeah, sure, you can have that opinion. The problem is, Bally, is that you're a crusty old man and you're going to be old <laughs> and all these young kids have grown up on these multiplayer games and that's where the industry is moving. Not only because everyone loves them, but because they're monetizable, because they're expandable, because but, you but can I, keep people in an ecosystem. Here's a, here's a comparison. Say I was an old crusty film crank, which I'm obviously yes. not, and I looked down and I said, oh, these Marvel films, they like." I would also argue they're probably a fad. Guess what? There are a lot of people who have that opinion. <laughs> right, but I think they are also a fad that is ultimately bad for the film industry and in 10, 20 years will not be a thing. I have a similar view to like uh, the streaming multiplayer culture of Fortnite to this day. Interesting. I mean, that, yeah. that would be my comparison. Not that I know. Yeah, anything no, about this is an interesting comparison. I don't think it's quite the same. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think I would also push back on the the single player story driven thing because uh, as much as you really love those naughty dog games now like i feel i was also where you were at some point right like in, at one point in my life when i owned a ps3 i was like this is amazing and the, i wish all games were like this and i've now like done 10 years of that and i'm kind of getting on the Je- jeff gersman kind of cynical side of like <laughs> yeah i'm much more about like interesting game mechanics like an interesting stuff and the multiplayer space provides like think about the interesting ways in which fortnite has become a gathering spot like a, a place in which people just hang out as opposed to a video game like it, it is so much beyond that and and the interesting things that they do within that as a live service um just the ways in which multiplayer games like rainbow six siege like talk about communication between players like there's so many innovative things going on in that space um and and for me i'm, I'm kind of on on the side of i think that that stuff will produce much more interesting and, and memorable experiences for people um rather than yeah the last of us I, which... I think in line with that argument i think the the biggest thing between video games now and video games 20 years ago is because it's such a new medium i think 20 years ago the average age of your a gamer was probably a lot lot younger as much as there are a lot of kids playing these days i still think the average age is going up and up and up right i mean it's going up because the people who play games still play them and so they're still getting older but they're still playing them right and i just think that i am interested in what will be the new hottest thing that kids will be playing that's be that will be be beyond Fortnite and beyond that multiplayer space if it, it will move to something different uh and i would say it will probably move at some point and but we'll we'll see yeah i mean all these things go in waves usually right like you think about the music industry and how the early 2000s are very different to the late 2000s to listen different to the mid and and, and late 20 uh, teens or whatever you want to call them um it, it everything comes in its its cycle and and culture changes around things and and things will shape culture so you're right it probably won't be the exact same but i i i do not see publishers i do not see developers letting go of the multiplayer space especially the big publishers and the big big games out there because for them it is just an endless pool of money really is um so as long as capitalism continues to go unchecked uh, in our late stage uh, of capitalism as we currently exist in uh, the future is multiplayer games Valley. so 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 stay in your old crusty chair over there hey i love apex legends i'm not gonna i love yeah, apex no. legends Don't exactly 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 um great next email 
Yes, our next email is from Spencer, who left us a message on Discord. Dear MVZ and Bally, listening to your recent discussion on Warrior 3 got me thinking. Warrior 3 was the first game I played in the series and I absolutely loved it. I played through it multiple times growing up, loving the Warrior being invincible uh, gimmick. Uh, later in life, when I tried to play some of the later games in the series, I bounced off them, since in my mind, if Warrior can die, then it isn't a real Warrior Land game. Are there any sequels or series in general that went in the direction that most people seem to enjoy but you couldn't get into since you were used to them playing a certain way. Thanks, huh. Spencer. That's a really interesting question because I was thinking of the opposite, right? Paper Mario is the one people point to of like everyone loved it and then everyone hated it, right? I don't, I don't see a lot of people on the other side of that argument. Um, but, but yeah, Warrior Lands for me, I only thought it got well. It's weird. I think it started out good got worse got a little better got way better and then just became perfect with shake it right like warrior land definitely for me has an upward trajectory um and and so it's really interesting to hear that spencer prefers warrior land 3 to the different kind of mechanical changes they made from 4 and and, and shake it um because i i think as a player i just personally prefer that style but but yeah that's that's really cool um any examples about it that come to your mind this is this is a tricky one because i think there's certainly definitely series out there where, well, I guess the obvious one where I've already mentioned it for me is like Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess. Like people tend to shit on those games a lot. And I'm like, no, they're, they're very good. Um, uh, even though like Breath of the Wild is still very good as well. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's the Mario sports games. They've gone in a direction. I've said it on the show before, but like they've gone in a, in a, in a direction that is much more almost Mario Kartish. And when I, what I mean by that is like, power-ups and this and that when in reality i think the joy of the original games was hey this is a really good tennis game or this is a really good golf game and we're going to throw in like an rpg system behind this and you like you could power up your character through an rpg campaign in tennis on your game boy color and then link that to your n64 and play as that character on that n64 and it's weird because sports games have this was Mario Golf and Mario Tennis almost came out at a time just before there were like tons of games like Virtua Tennis Tiger Woods PGA Tour that kind of thing and even those games like tennis and golf games are almost non-existent now and in, in some ways Mario Golf and Mario Tennis were the only <laughs> only ones left standing in a re- it's like very strange in that sense uh, but I still think those series have gone in a direction that I just think is a bit more uh so far from its roots so there's rpg roots and throwing in too many power-ups and i would like hey i'd like a really good golf game with mario characters and maybe an rpg campaign story mode sort of thing and i don't think it needs all the bells and whistles that it's kind of been getting yeah that's fair um i I wonder how general people feel about that as well because i think certainly the 3ds mario golf game was really popular and people loved that game um so so yeah it's it's hard right to gauge like what is the consensus because there's never a consensus usually i think Um, i think mario golf stands on its own better without the rpg mechanics than tennis actually does i think yeah you're right and 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 you can see that by how much praise the 3ds golf game got versus the wii u tennis game for example like people or even the 3ds tennis game or even the 3ds tennis game which is so forgettable by this point where you're right a lot of people really like that golf game and i've said already i think golf will be the next one to come to switch and i think it will do very well um 
I don't think they'll go for any RPG mechanics, and that will be a shame, but I still think it will be a, a solid game, even if it has gone in a, di- in a direction I'm not all on board with. Yeah, it's hard to think of series that fan bases think like it's, it's got better with in or terms of... Another one for me, having played Pokemon Sun, is... I always, and having played Red, Blue, then Gold, Silver, then Ruby, Sapphire, and even Ruby, Sapphire to Diamond and Pearl, and although I didn't play Black and White, I've heard really good things about like the jump between Diamond and Pearl to Black and White. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, the series kind of went off a bit of a cliff after Black and White in that sense, where I think X and Y, not that I've played them, but from what others have said, and I know that Sun is very similar to X and Y in many ways, those 3DS games were, just felt like a real step in the wrong direction after yes. that where i just think if you go like i said gen one two three four it really felt like an upward trend uh, I, I definitely think the jump between maybe gold and silver to ruby sapphire wasn't as big perhaps as you know one to two or maybe three to four but it does feel like that series has just gone <laughs> downhill's maybe a strong word but in my eyes definitely downhill and having played pokemon sun I I wasn't feeling all the right vibes to pick want to pick up and play Sword and Shield and maybe someone who did grow up loving Gens 1 2 3 and 4 maybe that's not a great sign for the Pokemon company you know yeah the the thing I would say is like I think most people feel that way I don't think yeah. we're unique in having those feelings yeah, about Pokemon yeah. um maybe we're unique in saying like Gen 4 is our favorite gen or something like that it's certainly my favorite overall um but that's also tied up in a lot of other things, right? Like it, it was a community and like learning about competitive and stuff like that. So it's not, it's not all on the game itself. Even though I really enjoyed playing through Gen Four, right? Like I had a great time. I think it's a cool world. I think there's some some neat stuff they do. The 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 point where it does fall off the cliff is probably 3DS because that's where they start to be like our mega evolutions, oh Z moves, oh Gigantamaxing, and it's like okay, like I get it. You want to have Nintendo often wants to do this thing where they have like a gimmick or a thing to sell the game on, and yeah. I just it's I come wish from the that, marketing department. You know, it's just it like, feels like almost <laughs> yeah, it feels more like a marketing thing than it does. It's like oh, let's get all the Gen Oneers, let's get all the hype back again. It's like how many times can you do fucking Gen One hype? It's like how many times can you do like original Super Mario Brothers hype for people? People have aged out of that at this point in time. Like a lot of the people who are into pokemon these days grew up with like ruby and sapphire as their game yeah. um so so i think the pokemon companies to reassess their kind of nostalgia goggles and um yeah, and figure it, out like a better way to approach it, these things it's funny be because for example uh new pokemon snap i'm hugely on board with because it's like because that's not a well that's been going back to at all in 20 yeah. years it's like one, once you've not like used the nostalgia everyone's got one last nostalgia shotgun bolt you know it's ready to go right exactly and, and i think pokemon snap is totally in that mold i think pokemon pinball's in that mold mold as, as well if they choose to Dude, go there if they brought back pokemon pinball i'd be hype as hell like, exactly Jesus. and it's because it's been so long you know and i just think that new pokemon snap game looks very similar in so many ways to the original and that's exactly what i think someone like me wants like it's that's the game that has maybe made me feel the most old out of everything we've talked about on this show because that was my first ever home console game that I actually got more or less around release. Um, And that was over 20 years ago. And that Uh just 
crazy to think about separate to handhelds obviously but yeah my first ever home console game is finally getting remade and that's like a big a big deal yeah it's it's pretty cool and yeah but pokemon definitely is a good example fire emblem i think a lot of people would also point to as an example of ah it was better back in the gba days right and you know i personally always stand by the sprite art of the gba series like it is animation that quality i don't think will be surpassed is just top fucking notch um i mean i certainly didn't enjoy the direction of three houses versus for example the 3ds games like i think i i think that direction and i'm not like a persona person or anything so i've not really tried that but i thought that was for someone like me who was all vironland was already not like a top tier nintendo property in my mind in terms of my personal preference i that was like a a mechanic that looking back kind of it made it made what i felt was already a very long fairly slow game even longer and slower and it, for mm-hmm. me that was a bit of a turn off uh although i appreciate it seems like most fire emblem fans really love three houses and kind of would be happy for the series to go in a similar direction for the future yeah yeah it's i think the series has sold really well 3ds and, and switch just between them um i think like awakening and three houses are both two games that have kind of caught the mainstream players a bit more uh versus fates which i think fates actually did sell better than uh awakening did but you can also probably put that down to total number of copies because people like me three bought versions. three three versions <laughs> so do i count as three customers essentially or three copies of the game sold which is a little bit disingenuous because i'm just one person but um yeah it's it's definitely one of those that i think a lot of people feel that way about as well so it's it is it's really hard for me to think about one where i personally think this game within a franchise is better than its sequels where the the rest of the universe uh thinks the opposite um i feel like i tend to go with the trend a bit more often uh than i don't so like xenoblade like i i I think that the first game is still the best game. I think most of the fan base agrees with me on that, right? So, yeah, it's it's a tricky one. But, um, yeah, there's a few answers there. Um, cool. Well, thanks for your question, Spencer. And as I said at the top of the segment, we would really love some more emails. Please send them into thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. And as I said, you can also post a comment in our Discord server. That would also be hugely appreciated uh, but that's all we've got time for this second segment uh, join us after the break for part three we will be right back
All right, folks, welcome back to the third and final part of the show. Uh, it's time to talk about what comes next, because we're already three years into the Switch, Bally. Switch is boring. Who cares about it anymore? That's a world of future. So what's going to happen uh, with Nintendo? Um, I think for a car, we said something along the lines of Switch is in like its halfway point of its life cycle, yeah. which makes sense, right? Like six to seven years yeah. is usually console life cycle. And... Um, and I think a lot of people are expecting a Switch Pro at some point in the future. They did the light; uh, they got that version out there, but a, a beefier version, uh, maybe around the corner. But but what do they do next, right? I think maybe let's start this by talking about speculation on what type of console Nintendo makes after the Switch, because I think Nintendo has two modes in which they operate, and you can see this as a distinct thing, or you can see this as just a random pattern that has occurred. But to me, it's all almost like they have a success that is an innovative thing and then they improve on that success and then they go off in a different direction so you could say nes was a success that was innovative then you have the super nintendo which was the same thing but better quote unquote and then you move into 3d so there's n64 and then gamecube is the improvement on that Wii is a completely different direction of motion controls wii u arguably or not an improvement on that right and so ds3ds those... yeah ds3ds right so nintendo game boy game boy advance right Nintendo tends to work in this mode of, let's make something new, let's iterate on it. And so the Switch is a version of this cycle, if you want to even call it that, of let's make something new, and I think let's iterate on it. will probably be Switch 2, Switch U, don't ever use the U thing again, Nintendo, if they do, they're a complete idiot, but you know what I mean, like they're going to do a... You know that the word new is definitely going to be in there, like it, it just has to be. They're too I, far down the line on that word now. I cannot, no, I cannot abide by that and I will not abide by that, but whatever next Switch there is, because I think they've hit upon a gold mine, right? Like they feel, I feel like this is the system the thing that will carry them for a while i could even see a future in which switch carries on past the traditional nintendo style of just one iteration and do a second iteration on it um we'll see how that goes but it it seems like that's kind of where they should be focusing a lot of their energy um bally is is there anything do you agree with that do you think that they won't go in that direction do you think they'll just do a brand new innovative thing how do you think the future of the next console will will shape I think that would be at this stage in time and I don't know what it'll look like in three, four years time, but like if there was a new Nintendo console now that didn't have the Switch cross play between home console and handheld, I think there would be absolute outrage, especially when it feels like companies like Microsoft and Sony are a million miles away from even attempting another, well, in Sony's case, another handheld or any sort of ability to play more remotely and maybe like we don't know the details of xbox like live and how they how xbox want to kind of do some like the ability to play on other systems like maybe they will have game pass on switch maybe like there will be other ways of playing xbox games on tablets on who knows what but i think while we're in this space that we're in nintendo are like the kings of you know handheld play and i think to to give that up in some space would just be madness right now yeah, it would make sense, and I think that's why we're in this position where it's pretty clear that the next system will be a successor system, uh, in a way. Which is why I think it's interesting to maybe talk about, what do we want? Uh, what do we want from that? What kind of different hardware features are we looking for? What kind of improvements? And you can think about this from the perspective of either a Switch Pro or a full-blown Switch 2. What are the software, hardware additions, things that could change it for the better make it something that's even better than it is now things that we personally want um so 
Do you want to kick off Bally? Should I kick sure. off? How do you want to go with this? I'll throw one into the 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 middle here. Um, okay. I just want some ability to interact with other users. Now, okay. don't, I don't know what it needs to be, but something between Meverse, something between trophies, uh, something that integrates the use of the share button, because uh, I think the share button is honestly one of the great secret successes of the Switch, really. It's very yeah, easy totally to use. It totally is, yeah. You tap it for an image, you hold it for a video. It couldn't be simpler than that. You compare it to stuff like the PlayStation and the Xbox, it's a lot slicker than either of those, I think. Um, for sure, I agree. And it may not be as high quality. The images may be a bit lower resolution sure. and the video is definitely much more artifacted. But the ease of use in which it works is so much more seamless than trimming down a 15-minute chunk of a PlayStation 1. Or I don't know how the Xbox thing works, but like the, the streamlining of even cutting down a 30-second video to a couple of seconds is really quick on Switch. And right. automatically linked to your Twitter and everything, as, as all of these are. But it feels to me the most kind of social media ready of the three devices yeah and and that's the weird thing about the switch in a way is that all of these videos and images are only going on social media and they've not even attempt attempted to do anything internally on their own systems where i already have all these friends on switch that i do nothing with basically like there's no way of interacting with them yeah they they basically act as like virtual libraries for you to go through and see how many hours people have played of video games and, exactly. and see what they've been playing when and you can see oh loads of people are playing animal crossing today and like sure that's cool like it's it, it has like an almost pseudo sense of community but it's not a real community right like i think what you're looking for is more i guess community options on the system itself yeah and like i don't actually really care about uh trophies or achievements on xbox i i i get them i don't ever check them more or less and but maybe i would care about it more if they they were on a nintendo system and i had like a, a network of nintendo friends and listeners and things that i could say hey i got this trophy in this game and you know i found every cork seed well not that i'm ever going to do that but like it's no yeah it's strange that there's not any platform to kind of do that with other than you know sharing images and talking to people on twitter which is a very different thing so i just yeah. think some sort of integration that links me versus this idea of trophies and just being able able to network with other nintendo users and i'm sure they could still do it in like a a way that protects children and all this sort of thing and you don't necessarily need friend codes but like i i just think there's a lot of room there and I, you can tell it's not something nintendo are that keen on and it's something that is definitely a big focus of the sony's and microsoft's of this world but it's still something i think nintendo are so far behind that they just meverse was a very good step in the right direction uh great ideas but then the thing was all just so slow that it it almost vanished under its own um inability to be be any of any use you know like it, yeah the fact that we now have the switch with all this processing surely you can have some sort of social media platform on there yeah i i'm interested by that because i i think that ultimately was the right move for nintendo to get rid of meverse and focus more on just posting things to facebook and twitter because quite frankly that's where most normal people are um but i know what you mean in terms of sure it may not help them in terms of marketing and things like that but i think creating a sense of having a community so like i think you can create communities on playstation and i'm part of a few of them just because 
I don't know, like I just signed up to be on the kind of funny community or the Player One podcast community. I never really check those, but like also I'm not really playing my PlayStation that much, so there's no reason yeah. to. But think of us being able to create a TNL community on Switch. And then if we do stuff like a tournament, it's already built there, right? You're already right. built out to be like, hey, I want to start a tournament with this group of people. And that group of people all get a notification. They all get a message to say, this is when it's happening. You don't even need to communicate that outside of the internal ecosystem. And I re- I do like that idea. I do think that even if it's not a full-blown Miiverse thing, the notion that you can bring people together and like have voice chat groups or even text threads or things like that like mini forum things within your own created community would just lend a greater sense of investment from people um who who own those devices so that's a good one i like it um let's go hardware Uh, i think obviously a lot of us are annoyed that the switch doesn't have a proper d-pad and you can get third-party ones and things like that but I want to go a step further than that. I, I look at what Xbox does with their custom controllers, and I think about Nintendo and how they always have the special edition versions of the Pikachu 3DS, and here's a Fire Emblem uh, thing, here's an Animal Crossing dock. And Nintendo tends to do like different controllers and things like that, but it, it's always in the guise of, here's a brand new piece of hardware. And it's rare that they'll do brand new Joy-Con colors just independently on their own. So I think that they should really lean heavily into the customizable controller thing, not only because it will make them a ton of money. I think Xbox makes so much off of their Elite controller stuff, but it allows consumers, especially Nintendo fans, to really dig into their own personal series that they like and things that they want to do. Like, obviously, you can charge a fuck ton. Joy-Con already costs stupid amounts of money. So to be honest, if I have the choice between spending 80 quid on Joy-Cons or spending 150 quid on customizable joy cons that i could have my own d-pad on that i could change out little bits of and have squishy buttons like the ds Lite versus the clicky buttons of this like going back through the eras of nintendo controller design and coming up with your own colors your own styles your own additions to it i would easily in a heartbeat go for the higher end more expensive version hopefully in the confidence that it's higher quality better will last me longer but also nintendo gets the opportunity to make much more money off someone like me as well um and and i love that idea because you can have customized messages on the back like a decal that has your name on it or some etching in it um nintendo has always been a company that has such a huge fan base of particular series and games and it makes no sense to me that they don't lean into that more um and they don't you could say it's exploitative to some degree, but I think the way Xbox does it is amazing. Like, you go to that website and you can choose custom colors, different colors for the different parts of the shell of the controller, different colors for the buttons, um, different colors for, like, the the letters on the buttons. It, it's such a level of nuance and detail. How much do they cost? I think those range from 150 upwards, probably. Uh, okay. I think the Elite controllers are, like, almost 200, so they cost a ton of money. But right. it just... For me, Nintendo have always had weird, interesting hardware, like special editions, and they've never, they've never gone just on the controller route, which I think uh, would actually make them a lot more money. And they have like a wealth of hardcore fans, to use that inappropriate word, that just like would be willing to throw a lot of money at something like that. Like I think gaming right now is teaching us that like when you have a, a group of fans who will throw money at things then create more like amiibo just create more of them make more money off it you know and then nintendo were very much up for it with something like that it seems uh mad that they weren't more up for it with these customizable options as you as you say 
Yeah, and I think the other thing is that the Switch is a fashion statement more than any other other system, right? You take it outside with you, you walk around with it, at least you used to back when the world was normal, um, and as a result, people will see like, ah, you've got different Joy-Cons, like they look cool, they look different, like there is there is an identity to your Switch that like the black boxes of the PlayStation and Xbox just don't have, They they and obviously the, the controller is more of that for those systems, but... The Switch as a whole, as a singular device, is far more important at what it looks like, I think, than the other systems. So, yeah, so this leans into that even more. Like, it, it creates conversations between people. It allows people on social media, again, talking about that, to share their own custom designs and be like, look at this cool thing I made. It's got Mario's hat on this D-pad and things like that. Weird shit. So, yeah, I would say lean into that because I think it's an important aspect. Uh, Bala, let's go back to you. Um... This one is very unlikely, but I just think you have to look at it in terms of how much Nintendo respects their fans, their their community that spend the most money on games. What I mean by that is talking about Nintendo Game Pass. Like, I think if you compare the companies and if you think about how does Nintendo how is Nintendo financially a successful company, I think it's more so to do with when fans buy maybe two games a year two to three let's say two to three games a year so that they'll they'll jump on the breath of the world they'll jump on animal crossing um but i think that when you talk about the real hardcore the people like us mbz who are buying 20 30 40 games in a single year i think that xbox game pass is a way of adding real value and treating the the customer with a huge amount of respect um rather than them spending a ton of money they've got this fixed cost that gives them access to loads of games so what i mean by that is just i don't think nintendo respects people like you and me mbz who spend an absolute ton on loads of games what do we get back for, for buying all these nintendo games day one likewise indies on the nintendo eShop. all we get back is a little bit of credit i don't feel like I'm rewarded much as a consumer uh, of Nintendo's uh, games by buying like so many, and I think that yeah, I, well, I, I I get that. Also, like you're buying the games because you want to play the games. <laughs> like the, the the reward for spending the money is the game you buy, right? Like, uh, but I, I see what you mean in terms of the value proposition for someone who plays a lot of these games. You're in in a year, you're gonna spend vast amounts more money on nintendo than you are on another system and maybe that's the point of why they don't change right like maybe that's why it doesn't make any financial sense but that's what i mean is i'd be interested in how much of their money comes from people like us who buy lots of games versus the people who buy two or three but fairly consistently every year right because for them they wouldn't want to sign up to a game pass equivalent and nintendo would still make a lot of money off them like the like animal crossing buyers pokemon buyers you, you know but everyone who's buying all the games in between like we often do, we don't have like an extra tier we can go to to get a good deal essentially. Like, And, and that's where I feel like get Xbox Game Pass, if you want to be day one on every single first party title and you want to p- play all the uh, these access, all these other games, you're getting incredible value for like the £8 a month uh, like the, the I pay. So it's this way of saying, oh yeah, here's this, not exclusive club but we're saying 
you you've spent so much money on like re shop and nintendo games that we will reward you with you know either access to all these things or you know a bit more credit than we're getting because it just feels like we're getting a bit of a rough deal considering ultimately how loyal we are to that company and to that eShop and to that way of life, you know. I just think that... Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think ultimately it comes down to why... Well, we buy the games because we want to play the games and I, I, I definitely understand that. I think the interesting thing about Game Pass and why it works for xbox is because you don't really have that mentality for microsoft for a lot of people right um the, it tends to be that they didn't have that many exclusives in the first place and so that wasn't that was an issue for them and they're definitely building a library now but i would argue that from nintendo's perspective they don't need to do this because the people who would buy three games a year let's amortize that that's 60 dollars times three that's 180 dollars a year and game pass what is you're saying eight quid a month for you over 12 months it works out at yeah 96 pounds for the year exactly so that's half of what nintendo would make if people only bought three games right like think about that that's half that amount and so for xbox it makes more sense just because the types of people like us we're getting a ridiculous deal versus the types of people who will sign up to game pass who usually only buy say two xbox games a year they will end up making more money off those people xbox i think game pass only works if you get the people who sign up to it to be the types of people who usually would only buy a couple of games that's where they make more money versus people like us where they make significantly less money because we would buy a lot more anyway if you see what i mean I would slightly flip it where I'm saying, say someone buys Animal Crossing and Pokemon in a given year, we're saying they would actually save money by being on Game Pass, but in reality, those types of people who are buying two games a year wouldn't want to subscribe to Game Pass, even though it almost works out at the same value as them buying their two games. It's like there's a mentality to, I, I I don't play enough games. I buy I play and buy the two games a year. Yes. And at the other end, Nintendo would still be making the same amount of money. Yes. What I'm saying is that the job of those companies is to convince those people to sign up for the subscription. That's the value for them. The, the companies make out like bandits when those types of people who forget they're subscribed to a service subscribe to a service. So that's the impetus. That's why... It is harder to convert those type of people, I think, potentially, than people like us, but that's where the money is made. Because people like us, they don't make money off of us. Uh, They take the hit on us. Yeah, and I think in a year like 2017, where Nintendo released a ton of games, the financial model would be very strange to try and market with Game Pass. But look at like 2020, when it's looking like we're going to have Animal Crossing... Uh, what 51 all-time classics and um, paper mario coming maybe a game down in the autumn it looks a lot more financially reasonable to say hey all these games would be day one on nintendo game pass you know like it's that financial model would work better on a more sparse year because they're making obviously a month that monthly income I mean, the the other thing depends on how much do they charge for it, right? Because, like, as Nintendo, they would probably overcharge and and make it an even more, like, weird thing for lots of consumers to be like, well, is that actually worth the value? Um, you know, because I, I couldn't see Nintendo going lower than 20 a month, right? Like, that is the minimum Pounds. they would do. Pounds or dollars or whatever for a service like this. Like, absolutely. Um, and, 
and obviously that changes year to year because sometimes nintendo's have banger years and so you get your bang for your buck sometimes they have years like this uh where it's just not as uh flowing so so yeah it's, it's definitely an interesting one i i totally agree with you. i would i wish they would do it i just don't think it's in their interest to at the moment and i don't think until they find yeah. a a middle ground to work it out but you asked for a wish list not a prediction list oh yeah for sure uh, for sure yeah totally no i get it i it, it's a dream it's it's a good dream um, um so. and i i am still of the opinion this is the future of video games in some way or another and while it seems mad for nintendo to go for it right now i think in 10 years time if they're still you know not doing it they're going to look very out of place but we'll see knowing nintendo they will be pulled uh kicking and screaming into it like absolutely they will they will not do it of their own volition and then fudge it (laughs) they will do it because everyone else is doing it and the the landscape has changed probably Um, totally cool uh let's talk about uh docking let's talk about screens and the switch one of my favorite parts of the wii u was being able to have it on a screen have it on a, a, a tv at the same time walk around uh do that kind of switching off not having it tethered to it has to be inside a thing in order for it to work and i would i don't know how this would work i don't know how they would do it but some kind of remote docking to tvs or screens having the ability to keep the switch in your hand but also ping it onto a tv screen so that well, they've already done that technology with the wii u they just need to replicate well, it right? the, the thing that's hard about that is the wii u is is proprietary technology which means that the gamepad and the actual hardware of the wii u were talking to each other when you do this with just a big tv the tv is a tv right like it doesn't have nintendo's technology inside it and so either you have to do a thing where you have a little device that plugs into the charging port that's like a wireless kind of beacon that then spits out to like an hdmi plug in the back like a chromecast or a, or a thing like that that nintendo that would be tethered to the dock or, or that would be just a, a stick right imagine if nintendo just made like a, a, a fire stick type thing but it was a nintendo portable dock style right, thing yeah and you would plug that into the back of an hdmi and that would then ping the signal across sure they could take the wii u technology and do that but again the wii u technology is from the base console to a separate screen this is kind of the opposite of that which is taking from the the physical hardware to a another screen and it's theoretically the same idea it's just it's reversed, the different right, yeah. it's just reversed essentially and and I would love to see that personally. Um, it, it would be difficult to do the same thing on the Wii U in terms of like having separated things that you could do on the screen versus on on the system. Um, it's still very feasible to do that. But I I like the idea of not having to have it just sitting in a dock every time that you want to put it on a screen. Being able to take it around somebody's house and, and still keep it in your hand and use it as a de facto controller, it means that you don't have to carry a pro controller around with you, right? It, it means that you can just use it as a controller while still playing it on the big screen and still have it feel good. Um, and I know that it would probably be a bit niche It would probably not be a thing that a wider market would want necessarily. But yeah. for me personally, I would love that flexibility, the the way in which you could just ping it to any device, any screen. Then they could port Pikmin 3. Yeah, then they would actually get exactly. it to work, right? Exactly. The perfect... Then they can put that map in Zelda on the bottom screen, you know? Yeah, they yeah. That's, bring the that's DSE shot back. So so yeah, I don't know. What what do you think, Bali? Is is this... I, I love the idea. I agree it's just not it's not like the commercial appeal is limited, but I've we've already talked about how much we love like Pikmin three, Mario Maker on the Wii U, um, Nintendo Land, like these are just 
games that are just so unique to the Wii U that ports in my view will struggle and have struggled i would argue with like mario maker 2 like it's just not the same experience um and yeah i think the 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 wii u gets a lot of stick but like that technology was kind of incredible the way that it was actually um tethered uh like digitally like it, it was really cool technology and i don't think you see that technology really in other areas of life you know but no i think it's really cool and it's not like it it's not wireless or bluetooth it's like beyond that it's 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 its own, own tether which is really cool um and i would welcome this person as you say like the switch to go back to something like that um to be able to link handheld gaming with a tv yeah, and, and I don't think it has to be the Wii U. I think even if it was just mirroring the exact same screen, I would like that because it's just a bit more convenient. And like, it's not that it's not convenient to drop into a dock on a TV, but like, you if you are off the couch, don't you? Yeah, but it's also like <laughs> think about traveling. Think about when you go to Japan for the third time and you want to play your Switch on your uh, hotel room TV. You're going to have to pack the dock with you if you want to do that versus what if you have a little dongle that you just bring with you and you can still play it on the TV, but you don't need to dump it into this dock every time. Like it, it removes a barrier for people. Um, That's not a big barrier, right? But, but it's certainly, I think if we're talking about the future of this concept, if this concept is going to evolve and become better, it's certainly for me one way in which it can become better. So, Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Um, mine is back to the hardware. Uh, I'd like Nintendo to go back to the clamshell. Um, okay, all I, right. I think that uh, there are there are issues with it. Like you'd have to have something that is, you're able to like fit in the analog sticks, for example. But I think there is technology that would be able to do that. I think it's perfectly possible. Um, and I also just if you like look at a Switch screen. There's like these black bars around. And the same was the same on the 3DS and the DS, I believe. There's like black bars around. Yeah, it's bezel that that just is with screens most of the time. You always exactly. And I think part of the reason those black bars are there um, on the Switch is like it's partly for protection. So like if you drop the Switch or whatever, like it's going to hit the black bar more so than having the screen right to the edge of the screen, as it were. I think if you have a, a, a clamshell design, the the screen itself could take up much more real estate and go right to the edge and then it's getting the added protection of being folded over in the clamshell so it's still friendly like kid friendly they're not going to scuff it in the same way that apparently some kids have managed to scuff their switches um and we have said like the switch is the switch light i guess improves on a lot of these issues and seems a bit more durable just from what i've heard not, not that i've ever held one um and that the original switch with like its joy cons and things isn't, isn't the most kid friendly so bring back the the clamshell make that real estate a bit of the screen a bit larger a bit bigger um and i just think it's a a neat form factor that uh i i would personally quite like yeah the other aspect is scratching screens which yeah we've both run into uh mainly through stupid stylus things and it's another like if i was going to do a mini uh extra edition i was like just put a stylus in the new switch <laughs> give us a stylus nintendo that actually yeah. works for this yeah. type of screen that would be helpful um not that a lot of games use it obviously mario maker is really the only one but 
it has resulted in some people scratching their screens, putting it in and out of the dock. That's a reported issue that people have had in the past. And so if you have a clamshell design and you're dropping it into a dock, you're not going to have that issue anymore, right? Like it's closed and it goes in and that is better. It, it just means you remove a potential uh, point of failure from the machine. Uh, and yeah, I, I, with a screen as nice as the Switch's screen, protect it at all costs is my view, right? Like make it as uh, bulletproof as possible and having a clamshell yeah. certainly does that. I think it's hard to visualize what that would look like just because the idea of the Switch and would you say it would have two screens or would it just be like the top screen is like the Switch screen and the bottom part of it is more of just the controller part of it? Uh, the bottom um, part is more just a controller. It would still be yeah. a single screen. And when you look at like Nintendo's history of doing that, the only one I can think of is actually the SP, Game Boy Advance SP. Yes, yeah, um, you're right. Maybe one of the original Game Watches, but I can't remember. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think it would take some work with uh, someone much more artistic than me to make it look sleek and sexy. But Those engineers um, would have to you know, definitely put time into it. I think they can do it. And I just think it, it is more of a, it's a better form factor than um, the current Switch, which I think is quite delicate. Um, and like I said, doesn't use as much real estate of the, the system itself for that screen. Yeah, I, it's very not Nintendo. I think part of the thing you run into with a clamshell is that it loses its hot, sexy appeal, right? To the millennial crowd, to like the younger people of like, part of the success of the Switch, as shallow as it is, is how cool it looks as a device, right? Like it's just a very, very cool device and clamshell just kind of, it doesn't have that same wide appeal, yeah. I think. Or even if it's just a skew, you know, for the for the people like us who don't care as much about the design you know it's just yeah we care more about function is it i think it yeah. has a functional appeal to the clamshell yeah i agree for sure um cool my last one then is it's all about the cloud baby um so there is a way in which you can manipulate accounts on switch and you can have a switch light working with a switch regular but it's just not good uh and it's not well implemented and it's it's really tricky to figure out how it even works and you have to look up guides and it's just not it's not smooth uh we really just need to get and i think this is more from the perspective of the entire games industry we need to get to a place where every game talks to each other and every game has save data transfers between whatever systems you're playing it on um i would love to be in a future where i'm playing slay the spire on my pc i hop on the bus i pick up the same game exactly where i was on my switch i come home i go to my friend's house they're playing on ps4 i jump into my save on ps4 and show them what's going on like that universality of cloud saves of being able to just pick up at your game wherever you are on whoever system just by logging in and doing it it has to get better it has to become a thing that is universal across video games and we're already seeing it barriers being broken down between cross play and to some degree with cross progression but like this generation i think has taught me that we've started to break down those barriers the next generation has to obliterate them we have to have this universal playing field and we can't section people off anymore it just doesn't make any sense um i i i look at what apple does with ipads and iphones and having people just letting them have the same apps that they've paid for on multiple devices and yes sure that can lead to some people abusing the system but you're always going to get that regardless of how things work you'll always find people finding workarounds just look at what people are doing with the switches and switch lights at the moment right um there will there will always be those few but those few are so 
such a minimal number and and yet what you're doing by restricting people is you're hurting the majority who just want a streamlined experience between systems i'll tell you like i would have probably had a switch light maybe by this point if it was easier to do stuff like that because then you can just leave your main switch at home and leave it there all the time and your switch light just picks up on your progress without any problem would be great yeah um so yeah that's what i want is i just want I want their system to talk to each other. And this is by far the most unrealistic one because Nintendo live in the fucking 90s still. And and they just don't understand this is the kind of kind of accessibility that people want from their devices in the modern era. Uh, and Apple were very smart to get on that early. It's one of the few things I will I will I don't praise Apple a lot because I think that they overprice their garbage products, but they do have synchronicity and their products do talk to each other in a way that is beyond anything nintendo does and in a lot of ways beyond what are the other console manufacturers do as well i think one of the first steps with what you're suggesting is that um like you just need to move away from physical games a bit because nintendo would come back and be like oh well you need the game cartridge in to do that whereas ultimately what you want is something more akin to i don't know like an xbox where you just have a huge hard drive uh, and you are attack you you can digitally download from the cloud the the relevant game and save file onto you whatever platform you're playing on in order to play it i mean that's kind of still the stage we're at but i know we're moving to streaming and that's kind of just cutting out that process but i already think that we're not really nailing stage one of that like you suggested like we're not kind of yeah like, and I do think Microsoft are kind of getting closer to being like, hey, you could just get, get Game Pass on your iPad and then tether that and do this and do that. And you're, I think you're, Nintendo are going to be caught off guard so much by the other companies, I think, on that question. And it's going to be pretty depressing. Yeah, it's a bummer. Like, I, I think about stuff. Uh, the reason I use Slay the Spire as an example is I have done all this progress on the Steam version. I put like 20, 25 hours or whatever. And I would sight unseen buy slay the spire on switch even if it wasn't on sale if i could just have my progress carry between those two versions right because i personally would love to play that game on switch far more often it's so much more accessible to me um and and i don't want to start over i don't want to buy it and be like all right let's go from the beginning again um it's it's not what i want out of that type of experience so so I just I want to get to that point where I don't have to worry about it anymore, where I'm I'm finally in a place where I don't have to worry about where I buy it because I know that if I get it on another system, then I'll be able to just pick up exactly where I was before. And I think this is definitely becoming more and more important as we have this world of games as a service. Fortnite is a great example. Dauntless is a great example where it's much easier for those companies to do it because they're built on an online infrastructure in the first place. And so they have all of your data, all of your progress on their servers on their kind of online uh account system versus something like say the spy it's a single player game it's much harder for a company like mega crit to, to build that architecture especially because they're an independent uh, uh developer so that's why it, it be- behooves all the bigger companies to make these more sweeping changes so that it's not just on an individual level that they have to do all the legwork to get it all working it's that it's on a universal system-wide level that you can kind of make everything work so again that's pie in the sky that's probably not going to happen at least another two generations i would say but i would say we are getting there and hopefully we'll get there sooner rather than later um so yeah yeah 
cool uh yeah any any other smaller things or uh any any little bits obviously uh smaller ones are stuff like can we just have an activity log Please. yeah i know i mean just I, like I, the 3ds one um here's another one can we just have joy cons that work <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a good one hey uh, yeah um and i am a little concerned about horsepower disparity and yeah. kind of ever since the failure of the wii u we are now in this the nintendo are out of kilter with the other um systems and i do worry that you might see more and more indies that use more and more horsepower that just think oh, it's even and i don't know enough about video game development but my presumption is that the the larger the disparity the more effort it is to make the port so i i'm worried that it becomes a greater and greater effort to port to switch but because of the other systems so if that affects i think that will affect nintendo in terms of third parties in any case but i think what's maybe more important is nintendo and indies where indies might suddenly think hey you know what these other systems they're a lot easier to develop for um i can, we can develop our game for both of those systems and then you know you have to make a separate port for switch i i do worry about that disparity as although it's a very simplistic um thing to worry about yeah it, it makes sense though because we are going to get this point in the generation where nintendo are halfway through their life cycle but we're rebooting the other systems so yeah um it's it's a thing to be concerned about but i don't think to be too concerned about because really like how how many of those big games were coming to nintendo in the first place yeah and the, i think the money. biggest indies that i'm into over the last few years um haven't pushed the hardware at all when you look at like wargroove celeste you know those are maybe my, two of my favorite indies on switch that i think uh that picks a lot you got nothing to worry about yeah totally uh, it, it does depend um, and then you have like something like kina bridge of spirits which is a playstation thing but i don't know i would class that maybe as an indie to some degree i don't know how big that studio is but like that certainly couldn't run perfectly on switch they could attempt it but like mm, don't see it would do that well so so yeah as 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 games become bigger like that and and become much more harder to put on weaker systems it will behoove them to move forward i'm sure they will i'm sure they'll do a bit of an upgrade probably not that beefy because knowing nintendo that's not their priority but hopefully enough to to close the gap a little bit so yeah uh cool i uh, i think that does it probably for us in terms of uh discussing things you know i i hope that the future is is good for the next hardware iteration and i'm sure they're working on it right now that kind of tends to be the case with companies is they put out a system they straight away start working on the next one right like they, it's almost yeah. They have to think about the future as the present is happening, um, which is really interesting. I, I was going to say, I also think we're going to get like an iteration and then a next system. Like, I think we're going to get a DSi equivalent and then a 3DS. Like, you know, like I yeah. think we're probably going to get both. Uh, and one's going to probably be in the next two years, and then the other one's probably four or five years, you know? Yeah, probably. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, that's going to close us out for the show today uh, thanks everyone for sticking around listen to us as we ramble about video games and nintendo uh, you can hear us do more of that uh, of course if you want some uh, different stuff then go to our patreon as we already discussed at the start of the show we're making changes got a new show going on over there and the first episode will be out a week after this so you can go 
do that one dollar tier and you'll get a bunch of stuff and then obviously two dollar five dollar ten dollar you got different things as you go through and it will all be laid out on our patreon so you can read in more detail uh, if we didn't give you enough specifics here um you can find that at patreon.com slash this nintendo live and bali we would like to thank some of our patrons yes thank you to our ten dollar tier patrons they are atari alex thomas matthew and my fiance caroline thank you for your support um and yeah thank you also to all of our other patrons uh i know we're shifting these tiers but hopefully you'll like our new show our new tiers yeah. and we kind of came at it with the approach of everyone who's already a patron is getting what they got before plus more right so right. i think that that's hopefully going to benefit everybody yeah and i look world. forward to like that interactivity of kind of like having these polls for segments and seeing where that goes so everyone can have a kind of a stake in what we're yes. talking about on the show um, absolutely look forward to it great um you can find us all over the place uh we're both on twitter you can find our podcast twitter account at tnl podcast uh, and you can follow that for links to the youtube channel which now goes up same time as the uh regular audio feed um and also our discord uh where we do fun stuff like smash brothers tournaments which we're going to be doing one of those um and uh obviously you can uh, follow me individually at lord nbz um where you know i'm, I'm posting about how i was getting through the the final chapters of wheel of time and i finally did it yesterday what are you gonna um, do now i don't know i think i'm uh, i'm hopping back into stormlight i'm gonna read stormlight 3 before rhythm of war comes out at the end of this year very excited for that um i've got to catch up on a bunch of series i want to read the rest of gentlemen bastards i've got to get into the first law trilogy bali it's an endless world it's like I I think about the book, the fantasy books I'm reading, in the same way as I think about what if I discovered Nintendo for the first time today, <laughs> and I could just play all the amazing games that have existed throughout history. That's how I feel right now with fantasy books. It is a fucking just embarrassment of riches, and I am so fucking stoked about it. Um, so so yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. Um, Bali, where can they find you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Ballyman91. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. Um, I haven't been reading as many fancy books as you. No. Uh, in fact, zero. <laughs> in fact, zero. Um, but yeah, the next Star Wars one, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll get on that again. But yeah, Great. just been tweeting about other stuff, really. Absolutely. Uh, cool. You can find the show in various places. We're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Alexa, uh, we're on all those places. You can tell devices now to play our show and they will mainly do it for the most part so that's cool um and uh and yeah remember we've got our backlog club coming up on nintendogs plus cats and again we will we'll get a date pinned down for exactly when we're going to talk about it but go into the discord chat about it there send us emails about nintendogs plus cats if you had experiences when it came out if you're having experiences now playing it as we play it as well that would be fantastic you can send those to our email address which bali will reiterate to you one more time before we get out of here this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com brilliant uh okay that's gonna wrap us up i think any final wisdom i always come to bali for a final word and he always stumbles over himself feeling like oh no i have nothing interesting to say um so i'm giving him time to think about any wisdom bits any like little nuggets of of truth that you want to put out in the world bali before we close out the show over to you <laughs> i'm just looking forward to playing some nintendo plus cats i think we just had such a blast playing that game initially on ds and i've got that itch to kind of jump back into uh what what was it what were those ds games called they were like the touch the, generations the touch generations it feels good to go back to touch generations which i look back very fondly in like my nintendo memories 
Absolutely. And of course, coming off of Last of Us Part 2, exactly. I think we just need something nice, <laughs> you know? Wow. Something happy. Yeah, that was uh, a game and a half. Yes. Um, great. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time with another regular show. Until then, thank you very much, and we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye, folks. interludes used on today's show were Captain All the Swashbucklers Adventures Across the Seven Seas from Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, Dual Destinies, Copyright Capcom 2013, and Surprise Attack from Ninjala, Copyright Gung Ho 2020.